Your health is our priority. Each series, it's our goal to make sure that we provide you with experts and guests that offer multiple perspectives so that you feel supported, empowered, and less alone. Like the work we do? Buy us a cup of coffee. Or tea. You can leave us a tip over at coffee.com slash the hip podcast, which is ko-fi.com slash the HIP podcast, or with the link in our show notes. When you buy us a cup of coffee, you not only support the work we do, but also gain access to early releases and downloadable resources. Again, that's coffee.com slash the hip podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Health It's Personal. Today, we are thrilled to share our conversation with food relationship coach Michelle Velsic. Today, she tackled the idea of nutrition and its connection to our overall well-being, specifically in sexual relationships. This is a topic I've been particularly excited about because coming out of our past nutrition series, we learned how much of a connection food has to our overall health. But it's important to recognize that much of the common cures for sexual dysfunction and relationship challenges are ultimately just band-aids, while the effects of a healthy diet is really where you'll start to see that improvement long term. The nutrition series that we did a while back really surprised me, and this was a great continuing of that conversation because we don't really think about it. Even though we know better, we know how food impacts us and everything we we do every day, but we don't think about it in these specific terms. And even when we're just talking about sexual health and how nutrition can impact that, we don't even realize that our sexual health can further give us signs to our overall well-being beyond that. So it was just such an important conversation about that, reminding me of all those other episodes we have about nutrition. Yeah, it was really impactful for me too, because I didn't have this information as a young mom. I didn't take care of myself in the way that I needed in order to be the best, healthiest, most energetic version of myself. And I'm getting all of that now and understanding it and making those changes and choices. But it's really hard when you're a young parent to find time for the gym or to exercise, to find time to prepare meals. And you kind of put yourself last, which I don't recommend at all. You know, it's that whole put your oxygen on first type of thing. (laughs) But that's kind of how we run on empty, right? And I wasn't filling my cup. I wasn't taking care of myself. And then you give everything that you have to your kids. And at the end of the day, you don't necessarily have that time for your partner. And she made a great point about even doing those fun things with your partner that create that connection that make you want to have a closer, more intimate relationship. It's just farther and few between. So it all impacts every aspect of your life. And it's like kind of like we talked about with the keto diet, you're running on that that generator in your house. (laughs) Yes, that second energy source. Totally. So I wish I would have known and understood that when I was a younger parent, because I think that would have made Scott and I have a really strong relationship. And I'm so thankful for all of the growth that we've gone through throughout our 20 years of marriage. But it could have made things a lot easier when we were younger, I think. Yeah. And it's still tough no matter what age you are. Yeah, absolutely. What did she say that really stood out to you, Sean? What impacts did kind of that message have on you and your relationships? It wasn't exactly what we talked about, but it had me thinking about the gay community in particular, because there are a lot of conversations about how your body should look, but there are no conversations about how you should eat to have that healthy body. It's all just going to the gym and 
looking good for your social media followers or on the dating apps or whatever your case may be at the bar. So it's not a particularly healthy community when it comes to nutrition in particular. And I was just thinking about, (laughs) I'm going to get a little tiny bit graphic, so just forewarning, but there's this whole conversation about tops and bottoms and how bottoms can't eat this much because you're going to have anal sex. (laughs) You can't Mm. eat certain types of foods. Actually, you shouldn't eat anything that day if you're going to have sex. I'm like, what is that? How is that healthy? Not at all. You shouldn't eat (laughs) anything if you're going to have sex. There's so many (laughs) unhealthy opinions out there about this. And I'm just thinking, well, if you eat a healthy diet, rich in fiber, (laughs) vegetables, all that good stuff we talked about today, (laughs) I think it could go a long way with getting the body that you want looking like your best self, but also feeling like your best self too. It's important to how, you know, how you feel in the, on the inside. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, Sean. I've heard that a lot, actually. And yeah, definitely not a healthy perspective to have. And it's disappointing that there are those influences that are trying to get you not to eat for whatever reason. Yeah. Those loud yeah, voices. Whether it's yeah. memes or social media. Or, yeah. Yeah. Inner voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah you, that's McKenna? a great point. There's definitely an expectation in New York to live a fast-paced lifestyle and to not always make time for yourself, that your career and your extracurriculars are the most important thing. And sometimes that comes at the cost of not cooking for yourself and eating the right things because you're looking for the fast option or eating out Mm -hmm. really frequently and not focusing so much on the foods that will fuel you too get through those busy days. And so then, you know, a lot of people are really prone to burnout. And I think about this a lot because that's not how I like to live my life. I try to live with balance as much as possible. And I think it was great that she brought up how much stress impacts your metabolism and your relationships and your ability to function throughout the day. And so if you are wanting to live a healthy and very fast lifestyle, There are ways to meal prep and create time for yourself that's eating really healthy foods because choosing the fast option and going to the restaurant, actually, you're taking up more time, like she mentioned. And so we think it's being quick, but it's really not. And um, we're expected to function at a really high level every single day, but we can't do that if we're not eating the right things. And that comes down to dating as well when we're running from our job to home to change to go out on a date, or we're in a relationship and we're exhausted from our long day, we're coming home and not feeling energized to be with our partners, like mom, you were saying about having kids. And this is just a really holistic way of looking at how our sexual relationships are tied into food. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. just about our sexual performance, although it is, and the things that we eat impacting that. It's about how we feel in every area of our life and relationships are really important to us. And so it's really important to focus on that. Yeah. And I say normalize just talking about this too with your partners or just loved ones in general, like your kids too. If you're that Mm -hmm. parent who's, you know, mom has to take a moment to (laughs) properly nutritionize herself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just teaching them that they can take a moment for themselves to do that too. Not chocolate. Setting a good example. (laughs) Yeah. Mom needs a carrot. Chocolate's good. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle offered us a really holistic look at what our sexual relationships and experience can look like when we have a really healthy diet. 
And this is something that's not always talked about because we want the quick fix. And it's a little bit of a slow burn when it comes to focusing on our diet and having the right perspective. So we're trying to reframe and she gives us tools on how to do that and really have a strong relationship with food. So please, everyone, grab a cup of tea and enjoy. Health is harmony. When you're aligned to everything you believe in is when you feel that harmony and you feel peace. Trying to get to the root cause of things. There is just so much to learn. Can you be present in those moments in your life that mean the most? Because health, it's personal. Hi, Michelle. Your focus in the world of food is varied with your podcast, coaching, educational, and social media communities, along with your personal journey. You focus on shame-free, personalized plans for those wanting freedom from the guilt surrounding what we eat and how it makes us feel. Please tell us about the work you do and the connection between the food we eat and our sexual health and other healthy relationships. Hey, yeah, that's like a huge question. Thank you yeah. so much. I want to say first, thank you so much for letting me be on the show. I'm really excited about this conversation and I'm ready to dive into all the good stuff. I love meeting people who are willing to just talk about the things we want to talk about, but we're right. not always excited to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> I work with various people, but what it ends up coming down to is I'm helping people optimize their diet and their stress level and all of that so that they can perform at their highest level. A lot of it comes down to our relationship with food because what to eat is a little bit easier to understand than like, how do you get yourself to actually do that thing? And how do you do it in a way that's easy and sustainable that you're not feeling like you're fighting yourself all the time? So that's what I do with people. I just help them optimize what they're eating and get clarity around that and get rid of some of the confusion. And then how do we get your brain to want you to do it? That's right. And I liked the sustainable Sustainable is so important because sometimes we just dive right in and we do all the things all at once and it's not not easy to keep up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what kind of personal experiences sparked you to take action in this area and the work that you do? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. It goes way back. No, I just kidding. <laughs> um, whatever. But really, for a long time, for about 10 years, I struggled with really a lot of digestive pain that was completely unexplainable. And it got to the point where I was down to eating five foods where I just wow. kept restricting, restricting, restricting. And yeah, five foods. Can you imagine? Right. <laughs> So yeah, it wasn't very fun. It was quite stressful and it made me have to dive into nutrition a lot. What am I eating? And eventually I realized, hey, you can only take that so far. So there's got to be something else. And that's where I really understood the stress piece, which I know we talk about stress a lot, but I don't think most of us realize that it literally is causing you pain. (laughs) And so (laughs) with the people I work with too. It's a lot of times I'm like, you know, I think stress is the big problem. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so once we can dial down the stress too, then a lot of your options open up. So I've been able, anyways, just through that journey, I've been able to reverse, honestly, everything, all of my food sensitivities and been able to manage my stress better. And part of that journey was dealing with my overeating problem. That unseen force of stress is... We don't often blame that. We're like, no, surely it must be something else. (laughs) Right. I know. It comes out of nowhere. It is wild, though, because you're like, this cannot possibly be stress. Like, this is... One time, my husband 
was really worried about something and he's like it felt like he broke his foot and he was convinced that the kid <laughs> playing with the kids and he was convinced that they like broke his foot <laughs> like, oh man i don't think so and then yeah you're just stressed out man <laughs> yeah the second it was resolved it was gone it was insane Crazy. that's really good. wow that's really yeah. interesting well i'd like to j- dive into that just a bit more. So the stress, is that causing us to eat things that we wouldn't normally eat? Or is it causing things inside of our bodies that are not accepting the food the way that it should or kind of both or all of it? Or Yeah, it is a complex web, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think it is both. It is both. So what I kind of map out for people a lot of times is, and there's actually two types of stress, which I found out recently, but There's like a short-term stress that you get whenever you're like exercising, for example, or a little bit of adrenaline rush where you, you know, it's a short-term stress. And so that stress actually dials down your eating. So it dials down your appetite and you tend to eat less. And you can think about whenever you've done a, a workout, you tend to not be as hungry after your workout or there's other things. And so that's one type. And then the other type is when you have long-term chronic stress and the what happens is there's like this feedback loop that gets clicked on. And so mm-hmm. instead of dialing down your appetite, it actually dials up your appetite. And it's like, I guess if you think evolutionarily about back in the day, whenever we had big stressors in our life, it was things like famine or war, or it's going to be wintertime. So it would make sense that if it's long-term stress, your body's thinking, okay, we've got to store up. We got to put some weight on to help us get through this stressful time. And so it actually dials down your, or dials up your appetite and then slows your metabolism down. So then that ends up, you want to eat more naturally. You want to, you naturally want to go for high calorie foods that are really high in fat. Your body naturally wants to hold on to it and can also turn into pain, which is what happened in my case. That's so fascinating and really complex, but I imagine that people feel so thankful to have you in their lives to just sort of like pick apart that whole situation in order to help them feel better. That's really incredible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it's a big revelation. Like we said, whenever you don't know it's stress, that's so much more stressful because Mm -hmm. then you're like, oh my gosh, what is it? Like, it must be the broccoli this time. It must be this, (laughs) it must be that. And so you gotta go crazy. And also it just helps you feel better if you're having trouble losing weight or something. I find a lot of people, they hit a plateau out of stress or like emotional baggage. And so then you're doing all the things that everybody tells you to do to lose weight and you're just not losing weight. And it's not a physical problem. It's an emotional problem. And so just knowing those things and being able to move past those, I guess that's a huge relief. Wow. I bet. That's really cool. Well, as you know, this is our sexual health series. and there is a relationship between our sexual relationships, our sexual drive, our sexual motivation and the foods we eat as well. Because as you said, it's also neurological and physical and all of those things. How are these all connected? And how do you work with people regarding this connection? Yeah, we usually start with the physical because that's the easiest to wrap our brains around, right? And it solves a lot of the problems. So then we'll move into the emotional stress kind of things that I talked about and also the getting your brain on board. I know we have lots of questions, but I guess if you want to dive into the physical piece, like purely physical, I think there's actually so many ways that it affects us too. But uh, 
One thing I've been researching recently is I'm going to bring the good stuff out right away um, is erectile (laughs) dysfunction. So erectile dysfunction. So um, this, (laughs) let me give you some stats on this too. Because it's um, 40% of men over 40 have a problem with ED and it just goes up from there. So 50% over 50 years old and then 60% over 60 And then we can talk about now we're seeing younger people get it too, but it's for a different reason, not physical. So whenever you have a problem with sex and and getting hard and staying hard, then a lot of men are like, oh my goodness, must be my testosterone. Like that's one thing people say, or it's let me go get a pill for it. That's kind of what you go get. And whenever you described, or there's like some crazy stuff we could go into if you want to, but (laughs) there's a lot of crazy things you can do (laughs) to like try to get this to work. They don't sound exciting to me. No. Uh, they sound very painful and embarrassing. And um, I feel like there so, must be a better way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for me, anyways, I'd rather just like change a little bit of what I'm eating, solve the problem. But what what it boils down to is blood flow, and this is true for men and women. So men, it's a little bit more obvious because on the outside, but women actually have the same structure on the inside of your body. So whenever you get sexually aroused, there's a lot of blood flow that goes to that area and makes it hard. And that's whenever you are, you know, you can get more and more excited and, and all that. So your blood has to be flowing really well in order for you to have a good experience. And the veins or the arteries in those areas of our body are a lot smaller than they are than the heart arteries. So it's the thing that we notice the first we notice first. So whenever your arteries are starting to get clogged up, then you're going to notice it in your sexual organs first. And then hmm. long before it hits the heart. So I'm getting wow. all about anyway, no, That's really big. Problem, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's because you're not eating the right foods is a major factor. So when you're not eating the right foods, you're not getting the blood flow. That's the problem. And if you take a pill, it's just doing blood flow through that area. And it's not hmm. solving the underlying problem. I was just saying, it's like throwing a Band-Aid on it real quick. It's just temporary. And I really like that you went there because not only is it impacting your sexual health, but that's, like you said, a warning sign for potentially long-term or more severe issues for your body. So that's even more important to pay attention to. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they say, the statistics say that within the next three to five years, you're going to have a cardiac event of some kind if that's a problem for you. And if it's physical and not an emotional problem, then it's a big deal. Yeah. I know some people might just brush under the rug like, oh, that's not important in my life. You know, as such, just <laughs> I need to focus on work. I need to focus on the family, you know, <laughs> but we really should pay attention, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess I don't think it's something you brush under the rug either. Well, because it's a big deal. <laughs> you <laughs> like, might be too embarrassed. You don't want to brush it under the rug either, though, because it comes back to your confidence. You're mm-hmm. so yeah. embarrassed. It's your confidence, especially for men. I've worked with some men on this issue and they're like, you, I don't think you understand that (laughs) this is like, this is my manhood, right? Like you don't really connect it to your identity and your manhood. And then that causes depression. You get stressed out and stress is one of the other major Mm. problems with erectile dysfunction and sexual performance in general. So it's like this cycle that makes it really difficult to get out of or feels difficult to get out of. But really it comes down to if you change a couple of things in your diet, it actually changes and can reverse very quickly. And then you understand what the underlying problem is. So you're not stressed out about it. You learn how to de-stress a little bit and then your problem solved. So it's really not 
the solution isn't hard, but nobody's telling people this is right. the solution. Yeah, Yeah, it's like looking in the wrong places for the solution. Mm -hmm. So for people who are struggling with erectile dysfunction, specifically, what are some of the first steps that you think they could take to remedy that when it comes to nutrition? Yeah, absolutely. So the big problem is fat, actually. So if you think about whenever your arteries are clogged, What are they clogged with? It's fat. And where is that fat coming from? It's coming from our diet. So there's been a huge trend. And I was actually on Men's Health Magazine recently, too. And it's all over. Like, you (laughs) know, where it's, we have a strange obsession with protein and fat right now. And so more protein, more protein, that's what's going to make you manly, that's going to build your muscles. And then keto diet, that's what's going to help you. (laughs) And so they're just hitting that really hard. But those are actually the things that are going to make you feel the opposite of manly because (laughs) they're clogging your arteries and hindering your performance, not only in the bedroom, but just all performance overall because it's slowing your blood flow down. Mm. I thought those sounded suspect. (laughs) Those trends. (laughs) I do want to break down what specific foods maybe people should be looking at when it comes to this, but... Maybe you can help us and our listeners understand a little bit more about maybe any misconceptions or things that you think people don't even know about their bodies in regards to their sexual performance or health and diet. Because like with the clogged arteries, that's very simple information that I didn't even know because we're not talking about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think to just take one more step back to about why we don't know is because where do we usually get our nutritional information from? That's either the government or the media. So media is largely determined by, you know, what's exciting, what's a little bit different, what's going to what's gonna get people to watch. So it's something mm-hmm. that's controversial. So whenever I was learning more about addiction in general, this came to my attention because whenever you talk about alcohol, for example, We all know that alcohol is bad for you, but on the media, it's like, oh, there's a study that says wine's really good for you. And then there's like, oh, this is bad for you. This is good for you. So that (laughs) it just sounds like a lot of confusion. But whenever you go back into the science behind everything, the science itself is generally pretty clear about how things are. So there's like one, maybe two studies that say that this is good for you, but it's if you look at them this way and they're kind of, you know, like the evidence is kind of weird or something. But because we see it on the media, then that's the one that gets shared a ton because you don't want to feel bad about what you're eating or what you're drinking. So you're like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, it's good. Like, I want to believe that. (laughs) Yeah. And you just read the headline anyway. (laughs) Right. And you just read the headline and you don't look at the background. So the same thing's happening with food, the same thing's happening with health issues in general. And there's a different thing going on with keto, man, we talk about all day, but uh, (laughs) So that's media. So then the government also sounds like that's where we should get some solid information from. But whenever you start diving into that, a lot of it is actually controlled by lobbyists and who's paying the Mm -hmm. government. And so every year, yeah, I believe it's every year they have a conference where they invite a lot of scientists and nutritional experts and they'll give their opinions and stuff. But And they'll do a bunch of speeches, but then in the end, the government kind of decides what the concessions are and what they're going to put out into the world. So what I'm hearing through this pile of money is (laughs) (laughs) 
Absolutely. Yeah. Follow the money. So anyways, the point is the science is actually pretty clear. And if you go and you look at the science behind it, then you're like, oh yeah, it's obvious. And it just starts piling up. But because we're so confused by media and even the government, unfortunately, then it makes it confusing. And that's why Mm -hmm. we don't have the information that we need. So one of the biggest misconceptions I see is the keto diet thing and the focus on fat. So back in the 40s, they were saying, okay, we're starting to get fat. They, they realized that back in the 40s. <laughs> we're starting <laughs> yeah. to have health problems. We're starting to get a little bit larger. Is it sugar or is it fat? And they said, oh, it's the fat. So they did the low fat thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the marketers are like, hey, nobody likes this. It doesn't taste good. We need to do something about it. Let's add sugar. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then we just started eating a bunch of sugar. And then now we're saying, oh my gosh, sugar's bad. But instead of saying sugar's bad, we're, we're saying carbs are bad. And so now everybody thinks carbs are bad. And we're going on this high fat kick because, you know, if you take the sugar out, then that doesn't taste very good. So we have to put fat in it. <laughs> and so <laughs> the reality is, Junk is bad for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's actually both. And so then it gets confusing. So one of the big misconceptions is carbs. And that factors into our arteries, the health with our arteries. It factors into our energy level in general. Like people are thinking our body's preferred energy level actually is glucose, which we get from carbs. And the backup energy is ketones. Mm. So it would be like, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, let's just get on keto diet to do that energy. And ultimately, you're like saying, oh, I'm going to run my house off of my generator. Right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, let me just yeah. use the backup energy all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> essentially, you're not getting as much energy as you need. And it's pulling that energy out of your muscles and, and all sort of things. So And then everybody thinks if you have diabetes, especially they're like, oh, I have to watch my carbs for diabetes. But when you look into the science behind that, it's actually caused by fat as well. And we can't get into all that. But anyways, so (laughs) there's just like a lot of crazy misconceptions about things. But I think that ultimately what we need to just break it down into something super, super simple is to eat whole foods. Don't be afraid of carbs and watch your fats. And keep them below, if you want to get really specific, below about 15 to 30 grams per day. Okay. And Mm. you'll lose weight. That'll solve like all of your problems, to be honest, (laughs) if you just do that. And you don't eat the crap. You don't eat crap. And then you're (laughs) And by whole foods, do you mean in this instance, like not processed foods? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as as close as you can get to the farm, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Real food. Yeah. So this helps blood flow, which helps sexual function. It helps your energy, which helps you feel energetic during sexual relationships. Um, How else the foods we eat kind of impact our romantic relationships? It really impacts everything because when you have more energy in general in life, you tend to be more a happier person and more fulfilled. You get more done at work you spend time with your kids, you have energy to like spend non-sexual time with your partner. So then you feel more love and connection towards them. Then you have enough energy and drive to like want to do that activity together. And then it also plays a huge role in our depression and anxiety, like our mood level as well, that whenever you 
are eating healthy whole foods and plenty of carbs (laughs) that are good for you, then honestly, it dials down your depression, anxiety to the point that for some people it reverses it entirely, which again, people aren't talking about that, but it is a possibility for you. And I think we don't realize how much food affects everything that we do. And it's kind of like that analogy. Have you heard of that analogy with like the frog and the boiling water? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sean's like, yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, we're like, if you try to boil a frog, if you put the frog in boiling water, then they'll just jump right out. But right. if you put the frog in cold water and then turn <laughs> the heat up slowly, then the frog will boil to death. This is a great analogy. <laughs> I'm like, oh. The point being that like, We've been eating so terribly for so long and it's so socially acceptable that we don't realize how much it's affecting us at all. We don't realize that we don't have energy, that it, our, our mental clarity is terrible and that we feel exhausted, that, you know, like all that we're in pain and on all the things it's just become our way of life. And we don't realize how bad it is. But whenever you just doing those simple things even like you don't even have to be extreme vegan and do anything crazy like that. Like every step that you take, you're going to see a huge difference. And for many of my clients, they'll come back after a couple of days and they'll be like, oh my gosh, my clarity. Like it just felt like this cloud got pulled out of my head. And like, is this how you feel all the time? <laughs> I'm like, amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so nice. And that's a great point. Back to what you were saying earlier about how people aren't always talking about this, but then once they get that cloud out of their mind and feel it, you may not want to go back and you're like, oh, I get it now. It is hard when it's so socially acceptable and the easy and quick food choices aren't the ones that are the best for us. And we're living these fast-paced lifestyles, which causes stress and causes us to eat really quickly because we feel like we don't have time and all of these things are kind of impacting one another. What would you say is Maybe you could give us some examples of um, some, like, if you're not sure where to start with your healthy diet, maybe any advice on how to get started and make like some simple steps. And then as a side note, I am curious about what carbs specifically people shouldn't be so scared of. So where would you get started? That's a easy question and a hard question at the same time, because it just depends on the person and kind of where you're at. One easy place to get started is to get rid of your soda and sugary drinks. That's a huge one. It makes a big difference for people. That's like two to 400 extra calories a day that you're drinking. And then another great place to start is to double your vegetables and eat those first. That's what I tend to tell people too. I'm just throwing out different ideas here. (laughs) No, all good ones. Another good place to start is a salad a day. I actually had a salad a day challenge one time because it doesn't seem like a lot to just like have a big salad. But if you have a big salad every day and and raw vegetables of some kind, then maybe you put some beans on it or something, Mm -hmm. then you feel great. But that's like a third of your day that you're having super healthy meal. It ends up cutting, I can't remember the numbers now, I did the math, but it ends up cutting like about 2000 calories per week out of your diet and filling you up with all the good stuff. And because green leafy vegetables are super, super powerful for your body, they actually come back to blood flow as well because (laughs) they have 
nitric oxide, which is improves your blood flow. So that's really important as well. And then the other thing I also suggest is to think about food in a totally different way, because I think whenever we jump into, and this comes back from all my extreme restriction, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. But like whenever you jump into something new, you're like trying to substitute everything out for your favorites. And whenever you do that, it starts to honestly make things really complicated. You end up buying junk food that way. And I understand that. And you can do that if you need to totally go for it. Just eat your salad today and do that. But I think an easier way is to just kind of throw out everything you know about nutrition before this conversation. (laughs) Air quotes, nutrition. (laughs) Yeah, nutrition. Throw out everything that you know or that you think about food and just kind of like start fresh from your meals and say like, instead of I'm going to put meat and potatoes and whatever on your plate, think a healthy carb going to fill up half of your plate. Kate, look, I'm telling you guys, you can eat carbs. Aren't you like so excited? <laughs> I know. I'm like, excuse me, half my plate? <laughs> half of your plate is going to be carbs. And then the other half will be like fruits, vegetables. Nice. Yeah. Or nuts and seeds and mm-hmm. beans and stuff. So Legumes. Legumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you think about it that way, then you're like, oh, okay, I have more options. It's It's kind of like reframing your brain about it. Then it's like a rice bowl with tons of mixed vegetables or it's a sweet potato with roasted vegetables or it's a a big salad with some soup or something like that. So then you kind of start to mix and match a little bit. I'm hoping that's helping. Yes. (laughs) It all comes down to just as long as they're whole food carbohydrates, then they're okay because we didn't get a chance to go into all of it, but it goes back to diabetes and like the reason we're so afraid of carbs is because they're always processed. And so they get into our bloodstream super fast. And we have those up and down roller coaster. Mm. But whenever you eat, even potatoes actually are white potatoes. I'm going to tell you, you can go eat white potatoes. And <laughs> I'm going to have that tonight. <laughs> and pasta, actually, the way that pasta, because it's so squashed together and it fills up with water so much, it's actually kind of a medium food, like a yellow light food instead of a mm. like a no-no food because it digests slower. And But basically, if you're going for the whole foods, the rice, the beans, the okay. potatoes, the squash, and it's in the whole form, even oats, then as it digests, because it's wrapped in fiber, it digests slower and it releases the glucose slower. So then it's like a slow release of energy. It's not hitting you hard. It's sustainable. And so then you get the long-term energy and then it's a short-term storage in your body. So you're not going to gain weight from it. And that's, that's how it works. One of the best things about this podcast for us is all the amazing and insightful people we've met. Throughout each of our series, we've seen many common threads. That's why we created the Health It's Personal Inspiration Line to celebrate our unique perspectives and let others around us know that we get it too. We teamed up with artist Cloud Ramkey to help bring these common threads to life. We've all dealt with challenges in our lives that make us stronger. Hence, our new favorite saying, thanks for the trauma. We make sure to remind our listeners and friends that you're not alone and that it's always a judgment-free zone because that's where the best conversations start. Our designs are on t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, water bottles, coffee mugs, stickers, and so much more. These are great gifts for friends, loved ones, educators, caretakers, and advocates to help show your people that you care about their health and well-being. 
head over to bonfire.com slash the hip podcast, our website, or our show notes for links to the merchandise and stay tuned for future inspirational designs and messages too. Yeah. So how about those people that after they do all of those things insist on having something sweet before they go to bed? What's that impacting? Honestly, if you changed all those things and you still ate that sweet thing, you would be like 90% there. Depending on who you are and what your genes are designed for, a lot of people could probably get away with that and still feel amazing, still get great sleep, still have energy, still get like so much of the benefits. So I think it depends on who you are. But if you <laughs> yeah. want to get rid of that problem, then we can talk about getting your brain on board and all that that goes with it. But it's well, you uh, had mentioned before about how like chocolate and sugar can kind of impact your physical relationships. And so I'm in the habit I'm not calling anyone else out on this <laughs> call. I'm in the habit of having something sweet every night. And I I think it impacts the way that, that I sleep and I feel in the evenings, but I can't get away from it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it does. So let me give you a couple reasons why it does. Number one is late at night, whenever you eat right before bed, that just is telling your body, we're going to be up for a while longer, especially if it's sweet, is extra telling your body like, here's some energy. So then you tend to not sleep as well. It's harder to fall asleep when you're digesting at night. So then you don't sleep as well. It depends on what kind of sweet thing you're having at the end of the day too, how heavy it is or not. But the other thing that we were talking about is kind of goes back to overstimulation is what we were talking about before is that we as humans love pleasure. We love pleasure. We love to avoid pain. We want things to be easy. Right. So we're designed to seek the pleasure. So our brain though has this mechanism. So it has like the pleasure hormones that kind of go off whenever you eat chocolate or eat sugar or you have sex, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, some pleasurable things that hormones are happening. But then you have a, like a counteractive hormone in all cases, right? That eventually comes in. There's a, a chemical that comes in and dials it back down. Right. Equal and opposite. No. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's got to keep you in balance here or else you'd be you'd be in the pantry all day long, like right. crazy. <laughs> you'd be in the room all, bedroom all day long and never eat, you know, so. <laughs> These are important chemicals. But what happens is whenever we have a, a habit of overstimulating ourselves, whether it's with food or alcohol or pornography or some kind of visual stimulation, then it's like with alcohol where you start to get acclimated to it. So instead of having one glass of wine, now I need two glasses of wine in order to get the buzz. And then it keeps going and going as, as you continue into that path. So the same thing happens with pornography. And then the same thing happens with food as well. And our foods have gotten so stimulating yeah. now <laughs> that there's like so much sugar whenever I lived in Japan for a few years and it's pop rocks, of sugar there right. <laughs> you come it, back yeah. and you eat something in America, you're like, gross, like, yep. what are we even doing here? <laughs> but the, what that also does is it's lowering your stimulation all across the board. So if I'm used to overstimulating one area, then the chemical that's dampering that down is a lot, lot higher than it normally is. So that's going to lower your stimulation across the board. Is that making sense? 
Yeah. 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 And I lived in Japan, too. And I noticed that, too, because when I went there, I'm like, I do not like milk chocolate. But then I tried a couple of, you know, (laughs) I was like, actually, it's pretty good because they don't like overdo it. Like you said. Yeah, yeah, there's makes a lot of sense. So good there. <laughs> I was like, that's the first time I actually liked onions. Yeah, like they oh, make yeah. like their food is grown in good soil, so it mm-hmm. actually like the vegetables and the fruits taste so much better. We're big um, about before, soil here. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have the best we love soil. soil. <laughs> oh, we could talk about it for days. Yeah. Before we get off this topic of overstimulation, though, I wanted to go back to what I said at the beginning that younger men are having a problem with erectile dysfunction. This is the reason that they're having a problem is because now pornography is rampant and they're getting overstimulated visually, (laughs) visually overstimulated, and it's addictive because you need more and more. And so then whenever they have a genuine real life connection, it's like way down here. It is down back down to that Mm -hmm. one glass of wine. And I now I need four glasses of wine to feel the buzz. And it's just unfulfilling. And that's the reason why they're having trouble now, which is really, it's really sad. It's a a crisis in our day, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Teenagers are just sitting in their rooms, like staring at screens with a glass of wine and (laughs) sugar all day long. Life's boring otherwise. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's, it's funny, but so true Mm -hmm. at the same time. Not funny, not funny. Yeah. Yeah, Not funny. Yeah. We have to cope by by laughing. <laughs> I do know that our bodies are just designed for, they're designed to enjoy fruit because fruit's so good for us and it has so many anti-cancer properties and things like that as humans. And as primates, we can see color because we're supposed to be attracted to the colorful, sweet things because they really are good for us. So whenever we created sugar, it just took all of that stimulate all the stimulation and just like boiled it down so that it's just in a super concentrated form. So it's kind of working just in the same aspect that I was saying that it's just giving your body a really high hit of something that's naturally stimulating, but we're not, Mm -hmm. our bodies aren't really designed to handle that. And so then again, the other chemical comes in and you're back in that cycle we were just talking about. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What do you think about meal prepping? Do you find that to be a useful tool for people? Again, it depends on the person and your style, but I think there's a style that will some anyone can find the style that works for them. But I really enjoy meal prepping because I actually I teach my clients how to have a system <laughs> where you mm-hmm. can actually do it in just two or three hours a week. You can prep your whole meals, your whole week's worth of meals. For my family of five, I can do it in two hours a week. So there's a misconception (laughs) that it takes so much time and so much energy. When you actually take the meat out of it, the equation, uh, if you go all vegan or plant-based, then vegetarian meals actually take almost half the time less less Mm. to prepare. So it's just a misconception. But I do like to meal plan because then I do that two hour prep where I get everything ready. I stick it all in my fridge. Then it's like going to the convenience store, right? Like I'm hungry (laughs) and I open it (laughs) and it's just as quick and easy as everything else. And then it makes it easy for me to eat healthy. And then your taste buds start to change and they start to adjust again. So it I think it's really important. If you don't love meal planning, there's actually a lot of services now that is at least in America that will send you, there's all different kinds of services that'll like send you boxes with all the ingredients. 
There's a couple of them that now that will send you the pre-made meals, healthy pre-made meals, and you just can send the stuff back. What a company that I know is Mama Says. So it's all plant-based. It's all, they have different bundles, but they'll just send you the whole week's worth of meals and you just microwave them. (laughs) They're they're optimizing for our needs these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's nice that there are options for people who are maybe stressed out, feel like they don't have enough time. And that includes these subscription boxes or just meal prepping yourself. And then because I find that when I have a really busy week and my stress levels are really high, I don't want to cook. And so I will just go and get something that's quick and easy. And it's not always the right choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me help you demystify the misconception. Please help me. Because because I totally understand. But like, we all think, oh, we want quick and easy meals. So if you go up back and add it up, though, even if you spend like 20 minutes getting ready for your meal every time, that adds up to I I wish I had the whole I factored this out one day too, guys. (laughs) But Anyways, you add that up, it adds up to like three or four hours a week. Then if you add the time like, oh, I forgot something at the grocery store. So I'm going to go to the grocery store or, oh, I'm too lazy. Or not, I'm too lazy, but I'm not feeling like I want to cook. So I'm going to eat out. Then you have to think about what you want. You have to mm-hmm. decide what you're going to get at the restaurant. You have to call still. You have to wait for them to come. Like it's still taking that much time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, then you're like, stressed out because you spent all that money because it costs $500,000 <laughs> for the delivery. You know? That's right. Yeah. Or then maybe you're stressed out from COVID. It might. Yeah. 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 Like, when you go back and add it up, you're actually spending about 20 hours a week on your food, on quick and easy food, mm. which is pretty wild. Mm. So even though it feels like, oh, you know, I'd have to sit down and meal prep for two hours or three hours. When you do it that way, it actually ends up saving you almost eight hours a week to do it that way. Yeah. yeah. And you're not stressed either. Yeah. And you're not worried about what's going on. Yeah, because you have to add in all that time too where you're like stressed out, freaking out, rummaging around, trying to figure out. Like, what am I going to eat? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it all ties back into stress too. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, as we talked about at the beginning, impacts the rest of it. So I like that feedback loop. Switch (laughs) it to the positive. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. So we asked you about misconceptions. Many of the issues that we're facing right now regarding our nutritional education are systemic. What can we do to begin making a difference in our own communities or having conversations with people about about our sexual health and our eating habits and diets and kind of open the door to these conversations, do you think? Yeah, that one is tricky because it kind of goes back to the government too, right? Where we're getting the my plate and I teach Mm -hmm. my kids, I teach my kids about nutrition and then they come home and they're like, mom, they said we were supposed to eat a lot. We're supposed to drink tons of milk every day or whatever. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) even me, I'm like obsessed about this and I teach people about all the time. I taking my kids to the doctor in the past, they'll that when I didn't have a plant-based doctor, they're like oh, they're not getting enough calcium. They're not getting enough this. They're not getting enough that. So then I'm like, oh my goodness, I better go back and double check and make sure I'm okay. And whenever I go back and put, you know, those little, they have all those apps where you can put your food in and it'll like tell you how much nutrients and stuff. I'm like, I'm just going to put in what they eat into like my app to see about if they're getting enough. And yeah, by lunchtime, they have like 200% their calcium that they needed. <laughs> and that was on my, like, it had like my stuff in there. If that makes it, <laughs> I 
hit my weight and my height and they were getting like 200 percent of the calories like lcm i needed yeah. <laughs> so i was like yeah they're okay, fine. never mind we're fine they're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're fine yeah so i think that's really tricky so i think number one is educating yourself and getting some really good information too that, that you can just back yourself up number one there's a really cool the plantrician project i think dot com so okay. it's plant rition okay. uh, something clever it has guides that you can buy for like a dollar but they have a pediatrician guide and then they have just a regular guide about nutrition in general and it's a bunch of doctors that came together and they're answering nice. a bunch of these common misconceptions about about nutrition so that's nice i you can order a paper one too and i like that as well you could probably take it to take it to wherever you need it to the doctor to the school or wherever right. you need it to kind of defend yourself about that. Uh, <laughs> Laminate it, carry it around with you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's helpful. I think just starting the conversation and like starting to educate your neighbors and things. Honestly, I don't have any good ideas with like working with the school directly because that is so systemics. But I think when as a people, the grassroots movements do take off. And as we continue to educate ourselves and we educate our neighbors, then maybe as a neighborhood, you could kind of come in and talk to the school or educate them on it. And I think that would be that would be amazing. Yeah, that's a great point. I know we met with someone recently who said that there was a movement in a community to have waste management changed. And so the whole community got like changed everything in their house to be more ecologically friendly. And then it kind of branched out from there because they got a small group of people to band together. Yeah, that's awesome. And actually, now that yeah, I'm thinking cool. about it, there are some organizations that are going around to the schools and educating. There's one like a kidney foundation has one that they'll they have like a vegetable rainbow program that they're taking into schools. Cool. And then there's it's not totally vegan, but it's about eating more vegetables. And then the PCRM is their acronym. The Physicians Committee for Responsible <laughs> Medicine. <Right. laughs> oh, nice. They have a, an initiative that you can donate to as well about uh, bringing education into schools. And I know there's also one in New York that does education and stuff too. So there's some around, I bet you could also Amazing. find and mimic what they're doing in your area. Yeah, absolutely. This is all such great information. And I think that's a great point too, to educate yourself in ways by listening to a podcast or reading up on the research so that you can back yourself when you're having these conversations. Because especially when people are getting mixed messages, like from a lot of different mm -hmm. seemingly reliable sources. It's easy to doubt yourself. For yeah, sure. it really is. Yeah. And we're just so glad that there are people like you leading the charge and trying to get the word out. And so we're just so grateful. Yeah. I guess one thing that we hadn't touched on a whole lot is I keep saying like, get your brain on board. <laughs> but I think that is the real struggle is how do you get yourself to do it? Because there's so no, there's so much information. So part of that is just educating yourself. But then, yeah, I've got that habit every night going back to that habit every night. I've got this habit that I eat sweets. So yeah, can I put you on the spot here actually and ask you? Absolutely. Kate, <laughs> why? Do you eat it? 
I don't know. I think it's just like I associate it with like taking two minutes for myself and relaxing or something. It's (laughs) like the thing I do. I need a different habit to like decompress at night. Yeah. So I make myself a cup of tea and I have a little bit of chocolate, but I hate that it's like something that I have to do. (laughs) It's like I I make it and I'm just like, you're pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's a couple of things. So what I also teach in my programs is that your brain is the way that you get through some of these addictive behaviors. Obviously, they're physically addictive and that takes time to adjust. But the real addiction is your mental addiction to them. So it's your brain is convinced that you need it for some reason. As it's convinced that you need it, part of it is like, yes, I need that chocolate every night. Part of your brain's like, hey, we don't need that. You're or whatever you just said. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're pathetic, which I shouldn't say to myself ever. But I appreciate you being totally honest. So yeah. 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 And yeah. then you get in the spiral. This is what I find with people do. Then you get in the spiral of like yeah. feeling shame. So then you go eat something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then I go back for seconds. No, yeah, exactly. Well, I already said, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that loop. So the trick is, you know, a lot of people have used willpower or you're just trying to make yourself do it. <laughs> and I find that that's the really hard path. And actually the easiest path is to get your brain on board. So what you do is you dive into, like we asked you, what's the reason? Hey, okay? And you're like, hey, it's my de-stress piece of the day. It's like my reward. It helps me release some stress. And it's probably because it's easy to, because you could do it in another way, but that would take creativity and it takes time and you're already tired. <laughs> I just have to like pull the wrapper back, then we're done. <laughs> yeah. And then you get that immediate like physical yeah. <laughs> reaction that's like, shh, it's like this pleasure thing that happens. So, but what you do is you really dive in and you ask yourself, is it really helping you be less stressed? No, because I feel bad about it. So yeah, it's not it's not doing anything. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my challenge for you then is you believe it, but you don't believe it. You know that it's not helping you be less stressed, but part of you still doesn't believe that because you can feel that it feels great or whatever. Yeah. So I would challenge you to like actually pay attention whenever you eat it, like sit down and like rate your stress level before and during and after and like, is it really going up or down or what's actually happening? I did this with myself and I videoed myself actually <laughs> doing this. I like I had a list of things that I thought like food is doing all these things for me and I videoed myself and then I realized, yeah, number one, just like you're saying, I'm not even stressed. I'm more, I'm not less stressed. I'm more stressed about <laughs> what's yeah. going to do to me. And then I thought, you know, it tastes so good and it's so fun. <laughs> and when I watch the video, <laughs> like we're having fun right here, right? Like this is yeah. what fun looks like. This is but, fun. Yeah. But I watched the video and it looks like, I mean, it looks like mm, you can't see because we're on a podcast. <laughs> it looks like, <laughs> you know, like I'm not even smiling. For those of you that can't see, she's grazing. Yeah. I just, I can't do it because I'm laughing so hard. But it was like, it did not look fun at all. Like zero. And it was really <laughs> hilarious fun. that you did that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> but it was so eye-opening because at the time when you're inside your head, the little pleasure sensors are going off and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And when you watch it, you're like, what is this? <laughs> anyway, so that's a little experiment for everybody. Yeah. Also, I love what you said earlier about trying to avoid maybe replacing the things that you love with, um, yeah, like a substitution. 
And I feel like I stopped drinking coffee a long time ago, several years ago now. And I try really hard not to replace that motion of waking up in the morning and having a hot beverage because it becomes like an addictive behavior. And so maybe when it comes to to having something sweet at night, it's more like you're saying, reflecting on what's something maybe during the day that would lower my stress level and make me feel fulfilled. Or maybe I should call a friend and like laugh or, you know, like do something <laughs> that's more fulfilling or something. I'll be like, like McKenna, help me laugh off my chocolate. Yeah. 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 And here, let me tell you, though, it's disappointing, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah. But once your brain gets it, like once you really understand that, hey, this actually isn't helping my stress and hey, this actually isn't fun. Like once your brain's not lying to itself anymore, you go to the pantry for your chocolate, you open it up and you're just like, ugh, I wish I could eat that and it would make me feel better. Hmm. Yeah. Like I don't believe it anymore. So the power's not there. So then it's not a temptation anymore. And I have like a crazy hypnotherapy tool that I like reprogram your brain in a couple seconds, which is really cool. It's a secret, but you can do it yourself (laughs) just by like (laughs) repetition and things as well, which is what I did originally. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your program and where people can find more about what you're doing and work with you and where can we find you? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So my podcast is called Win the Food Fight. So lately, we've been talking a lot about stress eating and things like that. We talk about reprogramming your brain about that and getting it on board. So I am also doing a workshop. I do a four-hour workshop where I get, we dive into all these things that we just talked about, mm-hmm. about like, what do you eat? How do you get yourself to do it? How do you dial down the stress? How do you do all of that? And we go into detail on all of that. So that's at whenthefoodfightlive.com. And it's usually every two weeks to a month that rolls back around. And I typically work with busy people who want their results right now. (laughs) So that's (laughs) what my program's optimized for. Like busy entrepreneurs, busy professionals, busy people who just want their health to be better yesterday. Yeah, that's who I work with. (laughs) Yeah. Which is basically everyone. Right. (laughs) Quick tune up. (laughs) Yeah, we will put all of that in the show notes. But this has been so enlightening, so interesting. It's crazy to think about how much we all know this, but when you really break it down, how much food impacts every aspect of our lives, our relationships, our physical health, our emotional health, all of those things. It's just, it's time to make an impact, right? That's right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Health It's Personal. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts for bonus episodes and new releases every Wednesday. Please listen, subscribe, engage, and send us topics we can explore that would help you on your journey. Because health, it's personal.